We often hear preachers refer to the fact that the Bible is you know, the most printed, most translated, most distributed, most sold book in history. You know, I've said it myself, I've heard others say it, you know, touting the, 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 you know, the, powerful, uh, uh, the powerful effect of the Bible on the world and how it's everywhere, everybody's got it, millions and millions of copies. What we don't hear, however, uh, is that the Bible is the most read book or the book that the majority of the world's population use to guide their lives. We don't, we don't hear too many people saying that particular statement. And perhaps this is because the majority of people who own Bibles or have access to the Bible you know, still use it as a kind of a table ornament or you know, something to build shelves with or something to put in your you know, to put on your shelf and you know, these, uh, I remember uh, you know, winning a, a Bible once at a, at, a, at a luncheon, they were giving away you know, the, a, a door prize and you put your name in and, and I, I, it was a wonderful Bible, beautiful, you know, but it was like this wide, this high, it weighed 10 pounds. So obviously that was not a reading Bible, that was uh, something to put on your shelf, but a lot of people have just ordinary Bible and it's there on the, on, the, on the bureau, it's there in the, you know, on the coffee table, but it doesn't get picked up a lot. You know, it, doesn't, it doesn't get a lot of, a lot of use. Um, as a minister, you know, I ask myself, why? Why does, this, why does this happen that we have such access to the Word of God and, and, and not many people you know, read it. And I'm not talking about just us here. Obviously I'm preaching to the choir, but I'm just talking about people. You go to work and you ask somebody, you know, do you read the Bible? Do you, are you a regular Bible reader? You, know, you don't have a lot of people doing that. And so as a minister, I, I've heard a lot of excuses why people don't read their Bibles. And uh, many reasons why a lot of people actually reject the Bible. They don't read it, they reject it. And I, and I want to share a couple of those excuses, a couple of those reasons why people reject the Bible. I want to share that with you tonight. In Romans chapter 10 verse 17, the Apostle Paul tells us that the only way people will ever come to salvation is by hearing and believing the message contained in the Bible. You know, faith comes by hearing and hearing the words of Christ. You know. Imagine the only way to come to eternal life, to salvation, is by hearing, by, by reading the words of Christ. So a lot of people, they hear the gospel message and who knows how they hear it. They hear it on TV or radio, the internet, friends, sermons in church sometimes, but they reject the message as coming from God and thus having any authority over them. See what I'm saying? Yeah, I know what the Bible says and I know about Moses and I know about Jesus and I know all that. That's for you, but that's not for me. I, I, kinda, I reject that. And they give you a reason why they reject. So since I've been a Christian and now you know, over 36 years as a preacher, there's some common excuses that I've heard why people reject the Bible. They, they keep coming back over and over and over again. In other words, People understand the message of the gospel, but they refuse to act on it because they reject the authority of the messenger, which is the Bible. So here's some of the more common reasons people have given to me, very unscientific poll here, but they're ones that I've heard throughout my life, why people reject the Bible. The first one, 
Well, it depends on your interpretation. I reject the message of the gospel because you know, that's what you say. That's your interpretation. The argument here is that since so many groups use the Bible to teach different things and all of them claim to be true, something must be wrong, not with the groups, something must be wrong with the Bible. Because you know, it depends, you're, this group is saying this and that group is saying that. You know, I, I reject the Bible because it's open to anybody's interpretation. Now, you know, there are reasons why people think like this. Number one reason is because they have probably never studied it for themselves. <laughs> I've always found when I scratch a little deeper to find out you know, why they reject the Bible, they give me their excuse. And when I push a little bit to kind of get, you know, put some meat on the bones of that, and I say, well, when was the last time that you've read the Bible. Oh, I don't read the Bible. So you reject it because it's open to everybody's interpretation, but you yourself have not read it. Uh, another reason why people say this is you know, the only Bible teaching that they've received is from perhaps different sects or you know, the guy on TV or the doctrine of some church, but they themselves have never sat down and examined what they have been taught to believe and then just opened the book to try to compare it. You know, what, what can we say in response to this idea that you know, it depends on your interpretation? Can we come to a firm conclusion about certain things based in the Bible? Can we? Is it possible? Of course it is. In Ephesians chapter 4, you can open your Bibles, we're going to kind of jump around a little bit here, but we'll be mostly in the New Testament. In Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 4, Paul says, there is only one body and one spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Pretty definitive statement, right? Only one Lord, not open to interpretation. Only one faith, not open to interpretation. Only one baptism, not nine baptisms, just one. When you think about when this passage was written, Paul wrote this in the first century. And note that he is saying that already in the first century, there existed a specific body of teaching about every significant aspect of the Christian religion. You know, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Already in the first century, a body of teaching that was very specific, that taught very specific things about various topics. For example, the Bible teaches only one thing about the person of Jesus. You understand what I'm saying? It doesn't teach on one page that He is the Son of God and then on another page teaches, well, He's not the Son of God. And then on a third page, somewhere else it teaches, well, maybe He's an angel. You see, the, the Bible doesn't give six or seven different speculations as to who Jesus is. It says the same thing about Him. Now, it, it, it elaborates what it says about Him, but it doesn't say two opposite things about Him. You see what I'm saying? It only teaches one thing about each thing. And this is true for all the subjects in the Bible. It is consistent in its teaching about individual matters from beginning to end. 
So yes, some people have different interpretations. Yes, some people, you know. But that's not because the Bible says different things. It only says one thing about each subject, topic, person uh, that it discusses. Another passage in Jude 3, Jude says, defend the faith that God has entrusted once for all time to His holy people. Again, from the very beginning, the Bible writers taught that we must preserve the body of teaching contained in the Bible. It didn't evolve over nine, 10, 12 centuries, where at the beginning it taught one thing in the first century about Jesus, and then it evolved, and in the third century it taught something else about Jesus, and then in the ninth century it taught yet something different. No. Just the two passages, there are more, but just the few passages that I've read you establishes the idea that the body of Christian teaching contained in the Bible or the body of teaching contained in the Bible about Christianity, about all things Christian, was already set in the first century. It taught one thing, one point of view, one aspect about all the topics that it covered. Now there may be a lot of interpretations about what the Bible teaches, but there is only one correct interpretation. And, and I'm not saying I've got all the correct interpretations. But I am saying that our job as Christians, our responsibility as Christians, our responsibility are fourfold. One, we have to study to understand what the correct teaching is. What does the Bible say, for example, about Jesus Christ? Who is He? And number two, we must preserve that teaching. And number three, we must teach it accurately to other people. And then finally, we must encourage the next generation to do the same. Why do we begin teaching our children at a young age and continue to teach them from you know, kindergarten to, to grade school to you know, middle school, high school, and on as adults? Why? We want to teach them what the Bible actually says. And we want to encourage them when they grow up that they will continue the task of passing on to the next generation the things that we've taught them, hopefully taught them accurately. So it isn't a matter of various interpretations. There's only one correct interpretation. And usually I tell them, I said, okay, on what topic? Somebody says, oh, it depends on your interpretation. Okay, fine, pick a topic, pick a passage. Let's sit down, let's read it together. I guarantee you we'll be able to come to some conclusion about it. I've noticed though in my experience, no, people who use that excuse, they, they, don't, want, they don't want to do that. They don't, they don't want to pull out a Bible and sit down and actually discuss it. And that's the worst thing to do, by the way. Have a religious discussion about the Bible without opening the Bible. Unless you're like you know, Dayton, who's got it all memorized, but the rest of us lesser mortals. You don't ever have a big long discussion about religion and the Bible without ever opening the thing. Okay? I mean, that's just the you know, approach. The best approach to study with someone is to make sure that you get that Bible open and go to the passage and have them read the passage. That kind of knocks down that 
excuse, you know, it depends on your interpretation. I tell them, okay, you interpret it. What does it say right there? And usually if they just read it in, well, it, it says, you know, right here, Jesus, the Son of God. Well, is that what it says? Yeah, well, is that your interpretation? Yeah, well, it's, that's what it says. Another reason that people reject the Bible is because they say, well, you just can't understand it. It's too complicated. You know, this argument says that the Bible is too complex for the ordinary man to understand. This is thinking you know, that belonged to the Middle Ages where the Roman Catholic Church did not permit the masses to have access to the Bible. Now in all fairness, of course, I mean, there weren't a lot of Bibles around. They were pretty expensive to produce. But nevertheless, the masses were not allowed to study it and they weren't encouraged to do that. And this idea still exists today. In my own family, I remember when I first began reading the Bible and attending services and studying and so on and so forth, I was actually told that I would go crazy. Now some of you may agree with that to this day, but, but I was. You know? I mean, you're, you're going to get unhinged. You will become unhinged, they said. If you, if you study the Bible too much, you know, it's not good for you. I remember the voice of certain people in my family saying that. And I've mentioned this before in another context. You know, a major newspaper in Montreal once had the headline, Man Kills Wife and Then Commits Suicide After Reading Bible. Well, there may have been an open Bible there in the house somewhere and some you know, newspaper guy thought that that was going to make a big headline. But it it confirmed th that thinking that was alive and well in the society in which I grew up and, and Lee's grew up. It's also the argument for the modern agnostic who says that, well, if you can't understand it, then you should just reject it. Again, there are reasons why people think like this. First of all, well, first of all, they have never tried to study the Bible seriously for themselves. People tell them it's too complex. Pfft. They won't even open the book. They just believe the myths and they trust their religious leaders without checking for themselves. In Quebec, where I grew up, most of the religious instruction came from people who promoted this idea. As a matter of fact, to me, for me personally, the, the moment of freedom, I still remember it. You know how like the little light goes on? The light went on and I still remember the concept that changed everything for me. It's as if the door opened and I was free to walk through. The day that I realized that the Bible was not a product of the church, but the church was a product of the Bible, that was the day that I said, see ya, see ya. And I remember the priest that I spoke to about this because I always had a lot of questions, so on and so forth. And I, and I once told him, look, you just don't have any answers. I'm tired of the mumbo jumbo. Come on, give me some answers. And he said to me, you know what? You'll never make it without us. Because religion is just too complicated. It's too, it's too much for you. So that concept, that idea was, is well still alive today. People make the Bible out to be a mysterious object instead of the light and the truth. 
But what does the Bible say about itself in this context? Does it claim to be a mystery too complex beyond man's understanding? What, what does the Bible say about this? Go to uh, 2 Timothy, uh, would you please? 2 Timothy chapter uh, 2. Paul says to Timothy, young preacher, he says, be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. 2 Timothy 3.15, or 2.15, excuse me. Paul says that we must study it diligently and when we do, we can understand and use it properly. And Timothy wasn't an old man, he was a young man. He's telling the young man, you study it. And then of course, another perhaps even more familiar passage in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15. He says, Paul says, and that from childhood, again speaking to Timothy, he says, and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Okay, listen now. Paul tells Timothy that as he studied the Bible, his wisdom grew. The Bible doesn't say that you have to begin smart in order to read and understand the Bible. The Bible says that you begin dumb. You begin by worshiping rocks and trees and you have no clue. And then you begin studying the Bible and as you begin studying the Bible, you become wise. Ultimately, learning about the salvation that exists in Christ Jesus. So you, you start out not wise and it's the reading, reading of the Bible that brings you to wisdom. And I was taught growing up that it was completely the opposite. You had, to be first, you had first to be wise, then you could read the Bible without going crazy or killing somebody or whatever. Now this doesn't mean, of course, I don't want to be simplistic, right? Doesn't mean that the Bible is always easy to understand. You, know, you have to have some background information to understand what's going on, especially in the Old Testament, you know, about, about the Jewish people and their life and their religion. You know, it doesn't, it's not easily understood at the first reading. There are rules for study, methods to follow in our thinking and analyzing process that needs to be learned in order to arrive at proper conclusions, points of view. But listen, if a person can be trained to be a pilot, right? or a software engineer, or a doctor, or a lawyer, or a carpenter, or whatever skills, right? if a person can learn how to properly do these very complex things, a person can also be taught how to study the Bible properly so that that person can arrive at accurate conclusions on a consistent basis. I'm not saying, again, we never make mistakes, that we understand everything perfectly, that we even grasp everything at its deepest level. Sometimes we understand something at this level, and that's fine, and as we study and as we grow in wisdom, all of a sudden we begin to see it at a whole new level. A, that's the beauty of the Bible. That's the beauty of the scriptures. It's in layers. 
It's in layers. Sometimes you don't get it all at the first bite. Another reason, and probably the most popular one today, that people reject the Bible, they say, well, the Bible was written by men. You know? The argument that this is just another religious book written by pious and well-meaning people, but only people, and so it doesn't have the authority to tell us what to do. You can take it or leave it. And believe me, when somebody tells you, oh, the Bible's just written by man, just people wrote that, what they're really saying is, that book cannot tell me what to do. Because the men who wrote this, maybe they're smarter than me, and maybe they're better than me, and so on and so forth, but they're just men, and they can't tell me what to do. So I can take it or leave it. Again, reasons. Why do people think like this? Well, again, they have never studied the Bible or any other religious book for that matter. Usually that's the number one reason. I reject the Bible. It's only written by men. Did you ever read it? No. Well, then how can you have that opinion? In John chapter 3, verse 19 and 20. Go to John chapter 3, verse 19 and 20. We know that passage, you know, for God so loved the world, we like John 3.16, we like quoting that one, but look at John 3.19. Jesus says, this is the judgment, that the light has come into the world and men loved the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does, not, who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. People do not come to the Bible, open the Bible, want to accept the Bible, imbibe the scriptures, usually because they love sin. They don't want any light to shine on them. You're not going to tell me what to do, God. And that's usually the hesitation. If I start reading this thing, if I give in an inch, and acknowledge that perhaps this may be God talking to me, I may have to change some of my stuff. <laughs> I don't want to change my stuff. I like the things the way they are now. And many people just want to be left alone. And this is a convenient excuse to achieve. No, many times when they say this, they have no way to defend this. They just throw it out there and that's like, that just cuts off the conversation. Again, many arguments that refute this claim, you know, that the Bible itself says that it is inspired by God. If we go to uh, 2 Peter chapter 1, and it's okay, by the way, it's okay if you don't win the argument through, quote, logic, you know, some sort of logical argument where you, you, you kind of get somebody into the corner and you kind of win the argument. That's one way some people do it. Hey, I say just open the Bible and quote the scripture itself. You don't have to defend the Bible. It's quite you know, powerful enough to defend itself. So somebody says to me, well, it's, all, it's just written by men. So I'll quote to them 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 20 says, but know this first of all, that no prophecy of scripture is the matter of one's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. 
So the first thing that I try to knock down in that argument is, well, you may think that the Bible was just written by men, but the Bible itself says that it was written by God. Never mind what I say, you don't have to debate me. Who am I? I'm a nobody. Your debate is with the book. You can go on you know, and tell them, well, they're over, how do you explain the fact that there are over 300 prophecies regarding Jesus made centuries before His appearance and then these are completely fulfilled by Him? How does that happen? Just explain how that happens. And how do you, if you read it, you'll find out unequal depth of philosophical, psychological, theological information not found in any other text ever. It's accuracy, historically, archaeologically, the complexity of material over a vast amount of time without contradiction. Think now, I ask the question, well, if it's only men, how did they do this? How do more than 40 authors who lived over a period of 1500 years write 66 books that fit together perfectly to tell one seamless story without divine help? How, 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 how do men do that? I mean nowadays you can't even get two reporters on TV to agree when they're reporting on the same incident. <laughs> How do you get 66 you know, or 40 authors, many of whom didn't know each other, who lived at different times, different places, different cultures? How do, how do you do that? And not to mention the eyewitness accounts of Jesus' miracles and resurrection and teachings, where He Himself says that the Bible is inspired. So when we weigh all of these facts together, we can't easily reject the Bible as just like any other book. And then my other question I ask when they say this to me is this. Well, if God didn't write it, who did? And why haven't we been able to duplicate it? Not even close. There's nothing like it. Not even close. How come? You know, from the very beginning, people have rejected God's word and they've used all kinds of excuses. Too, too complicated, too human. And people can find all kinds of reasons in the world to deny it, reject it. But in the end, they'll have to deal with the fact that God will judge us according to the Bible, regardless of our opinion. You know what did Jesus say in John 12? He who rejects me and does not receive my sayings has one who judges him. The word I spoke will judge him at the last day. Try quoting that to the individual who says, ah, it's just written by men. Really? Okay. You know, we need to realize that ignorance of God's word is no excuse at judgment will be no excuse. So if this be so, how do we respond to the fact that the Bible is God's word? How do we, kind of, how do we receive the sayings of, of Jesus? And I, and I know that, again, I'm, I'm preaching to the choir here, but still, we need to be reminded. The people out there watching, they need to be reminded. So how do we respond? How do we receive Jesus' teachings? Well, very simple. One, of course, let's read our Bible, shall we? 
Whatever method you use is not important so long as you read it. Your goal as a maturing Christian is that you will read it every day. That's the goal. Maybe you haven't accomplished this yet. Maybe you're 20 years old or 50 years old or 80 years old and you haven't accomplished that yet. You haven't gotten there, but that's the goal. You're going you're to feed off of this every single day. Five minutes, 50 minutes, five hours. There's no rule. The goal is that every day I'm going to carve out some time to get into the book. Not with maybe with a red pen and figure out all the, just read it. Soak it in. You know? Number two, well, we, we read it, but reading it isn't complete unless we obey it. The purpose of reading is knowledge, but that knowledge has no power to change your life, to mature you, if you don't respond to it. Because just reading the Bible is not what changes you. It's obeying the word that changes you. So when the Bible tells you to do something or stop doing something, then obey it. And each time that you do, it is a step towards maturity, and maturity leads to greater understanding. Remember I said it's in layers? How do I drill down? You know, how, do I, how do I get deeper into it? Do I have to take a course? Do I have to become, you know, do I have to get a PhD in religion or theology? How do I do it? You obey it. You obey it. Because before understanding comes obedience and humility before God's word. And then of course, you read it, you obey it, you share it, right? You know, Bible talk, grow your faith, share your faith. You know, what is it that Hal and I are doing? Creating tools, creating resources so that people can grow their faith. They read, they watch, they listen. They can do it on their watches, on their phones, on their iPads, their computers. That's all we're doing. We're not doing anything new. It's the same word. We're just finding different ways to deliver it. And we're also giving them tools so they can share it with someone else. So either by teaching or sharing your faith, witnessing for Christ through your service, your lifestyle, you need to get the Bible that is inside of you out to others. The mature Christian is the Christian who is maturing someone else. And oh yes, one last reason people ignore God's word. One more reason. Probably the most common one, no time, no time, I don't have time. Which reminds me of my sister-in-law, Francoise, French name, Francoise. Lisa and I shared our witness with her for 25 years. You know, just praying before meals, talking about church, trying to give a good witness with our family. She had family problems, so we prayed for her. And we sent her a Bible correspondence course, just like the ones that we do here. We sent her a, a Bible correspondence course to get her into the Word. And it was in French on top of that. She didn't have to kind of get over the English. She, she could do it in French, because we had French versions of the, the course. 
And she said when you know, she received it that she really did appreciate the fact that we took time to pray with her and she did receive the course. Thank you very much. But just too busy. Stuff going on in her life. She had a new job. There were family matters. You know, starting a course means she had to sit down, open the Bible, all that kind of stuff. And I remember her saying, well, later, though, later, when things settle down. And so we agreed to have lunch, I remember, on a Friday to discuss all these things. Well, she had a stroke on Thursday afternoon and she died that night, 59 years old. And the Bible correspondence course was still on her dresser next to her bed, unopened, untouched. You know, sometimes too busy gets to be too late. Don't let too busy or any other excuse keep you from reading and most importantly, obeying God's word.